Welcome to the HR Insider Podcast, where we interview some of today's top HR reps and human resource experts. It's time to elevate your human resource mindset. Welcome to another episode of HR Insider Podcast. Today I'm joined by Emma Leeds, the Senior HR Director at Canvas in New York. Emma, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Well, hey, listen, um, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. I know that you and I were talking just before we started Hit Record about a little bit about your experience, uh, you know, kind of how you got to where you're at now and then what you're up to. I'd love for you to share that with our audience just to hear a little bit about your background and and what you're doing now. Yeah, so um, I can take it all the way back to college uh, when I first kind of learned about HR. Um, So in undergrad, I studied sociology and psychology and was like looking for a way to apply my interests and how people work and how groups work um, to what I would do in my future Um, and kind of stumbled upon HR um, and did a couple of internships. I worked in, uh, I interned in HR at a big ad agency and then also at a big publication company and loved it, fell in love with the, with the field and, you know, what, you know, HR teams get to do. Um, and I really saw HR as the business application of um, sociology, of how, how to improve teams, how to in, empower people to do better work, um, how to structure an organization so that it's successful. Um, it's just super interesting stuff. So um, after I graduated college, I got my first job in HR. Um, I always had an interest in, in startups and in technology companies. Um, so my first role was at a game development company where I was one of two HR people in a, um, at a game development company, a 50-person game development company. Um, and then I started to get, and I got my master's in HR uh, at NYU and um, worked at a couple more companies in HR, all in all in tech startups. Um, so following that, I worked at a SaaS company, um, and then I worked at a uh, another online tech startup, and now uh, I am at Canvas. Yeah, so um, in Canvas, uh, mm-hmm. you're, you're running all their HR. It's a startup as well. Yeah. Um, and you've had all this experience and kind of one of the things that you and I were talking about was, Hey, listen, I, I know what it's like to be a startup and to be a or the HR department. So yeah. kind of tell our listeners, you know, I know that there are a lot of people that listen to this podcast that are in large corporations that are established. And then there's like the other half of the demographic that is at the size where Canvas is at now and where a lot of your experience mm-hmm. comes in, and they're going either A, I, I'm an entrepreneur and I don't have an HR department, so I'm kind of being my own HR department, or they bring in, and I'm sure that you've experienced this too, Emma, they bring in some um, you know recent graduate who really has no idea what they're doing, and they're trying to give them resources to educate them on how to do this well. So off, you know, kind of like the top of your head, um, you know, what are some of the things that you've seen in, in all your experience 
uh, are kind of like the major things that startups need to be looking out for when it comes to human resources in particular? Yeah, so I think um, it it definitely depends on the size. So uh, you know, I'm I'm you know air quoting. I'm the head of HR at Canvas, which is thirty people. Um, you know, in a which is super different than being um, the head of HR. You know, like Morgan Stanley. Uh, I clearly couldn't do that job. I'm qualified for the job I'm in right now. Um, so when you're a startup, I think there's a, a couple different things that really matter. Um, the first is you need to get the basics down. You need to, like, if you're a founder and you're hiring in someone into an HR role, you need to be able to trust that they are going to be able to handle the, um, the compliance, changing laws, uh, the payroll, the benefits, um, all of the pieces that you really can't mess up. When you mess that stuff up, then you have nothing. You have no foundation. And I've been, um, I've been in an organization where, you know, I've been in actually it was twice. I've been in organizations where the people who were in HR before me didn't set a good foundation up, and so it created so much cleanup work for the people who came in later. Um, and it also creates tons of frustrations for the employees because um, they there's no trust there. They can't trust that. You know, if there's a payroll error, that it will get resolved. They can't trust that um, they have, you know, access to all the benefits that they think they do. It, so the the trust is really lost there. So I think like that first piece that's super important are the basics. So if you can nail those, and now there are a lot of systems out there that help you do that. Um, I mean, depending on what system you use, there's some that are better and some that are way worse. Um, so. You can get pull pull in the right technology systems, pull in the right partners. Um, maybe it's a benefits broker who's able to help you on compliance. So that's a really important piece. Um, and then the second piece is there's a big emphasis on um, retention, on building a good culture that retains employees. Um, and I, it's. It's important in every organization you're in, but it's differently important in startups because when you are a 30-person company and three people leave, that's 10% of your organization. It's If 10% of Morgan Stanley left, like they would be screwed. Um, so it's the same thing. It's the same thing in a startup um, where every person is wearing multiple hats. So it's just that, that much more difficult to... Um, backfill to find the right skill set. Um, I do think there is healthy turnover in startups, and then there's unhealthy turnover. Like the healthy turnover happens when the company changes and people outgrow the roles that they started in a year, two years, three years ago. Um, things change much less quickly at, at big companies, um, so you know the, there is less of that. Uh, but it's it's just different. So I think compliance is number one. That second piece is. Um, building the right programs to engage and retain employees, um, you know, which can be cultural from like, uh, you know, it, it ranges from the perks, which I think are really service level to the culture of how people treat each other, um, how, how people feel about their jobs, if people feel empowered, if they feel like they can trust their manager to the more intangible stuff. And, you know, those two are, Complimentary, but definitely not not interchangeable. 
Yeah, so, okay, so I want to go back to the first thing that you talked about there because that was really, really interesting to me, Emma, about setting that firm foundation. You kind of talked about, you alluded to some some software, some tools out there that would be helpful for that. Can you mention some tools that you've, you've found that, or maybe that you know about, that kind of help set a good foundation for HR uh, for startups? Yeah, um, so... We recently just switched to use JustWorks, um, which you know has been going well. We we haven't used it for that long, but it's you know it's a PEO, um, which is you're essentially engaging in like a co-employment relationship. So all of our employees are employed by Canvas and by JustWorks, and so their paychecks come from JustWorks. So it's it's um, you share some of the responsibility. Um, that's a model that works well for smaller companies. I think when you hit like the 100 to 150 range, that's when you want to move off of a PEO. Um, Another benefit of a PEO is you're on their benefits plans. So you get to choose within their like wide range of of, like plans that they offer, you get to choose which ones you would like your company to take part in. Um, So it just removes a lot of the like heavy lifting off of HR people. And, you know, like as a, you know, as a one to two person team, it's, it's such a relief not having to do those things. But I think being able to trust, you know, I've been worked with PEOs where I, you know, you'd reach out to um, people to get help and your employees didn't have anywhere to go. Um, but just because the PEO wasn't, um, the service level wasn't great and the um, data integrity was questionable. So it's really important to be able to trust your PEO. And if you can't and you're under 50 people, it's like a no brainer to switch. Um, it's really like not a very difficult process. Yeah, I think that's huge, and I think so many uh, startups, you know, have just the difficulty of of understanding the processes and procedures for everything because they're literally starting from scratch. Mm-hmm. So, being able to start with someone else's framework, you know, no matter what industry you're in uh, or what department you're in within that industry, it's it's really really helpful. Is there anything else that you would tell? Uh, you know, our listeners that, that maybe they should look into even, even if it's not something that you've used in particular, Emma? Um, yeah, to, on like the compliance piece, I think um, finding a benefits broker who you can partner with, who also gives you, um, you know, up-to-date information on different compliance needs. If you're on a PEO, your PEO does that. If you're not, it, you know, when I when I was at a company that was not a PEO, I would constantly be going to um, the brokers to understand, like, hey, this new law is coming out. Uh, what's going on? Or they'll ping me about it and say, you should be aware of this. Um, there are just too many laws, too many changes for someone who isn't doing compliance full time to keep to keep on top of. And I think that's one of the things where, when you're at a larger company, your HR team you'll have, you know, uh, you'll have a benefits team, you'll have a payroll team, you'll have compliance, you'll have immigration, like, all of that is in likely one human at a smaller company. Um, And when you have two, that's like, wow, that's amazing. So, um, so just those compliance pieces could be like, you know, our our different departments. Um, So when when it's all one, you're really going to end up relying on, um, honestly, like your project management skills to manage all the changes and manage all the systems um, and, you know, good technology and good partners. Mm. That's good. That's good. All right. So 
one of the other things you talked about was employee turnover, which <laughs> I thought that how you put it in was was perfect. You're like, hey, listen, mm-hmm. if, if a large company had 10% of its workforce leave, they'd be scrambling going, oh my gosh, what do we do now? Um, and that that's so easy to have happen whenever yeah. you have a small team. I've checked out your website a good bit, so I know a little bit about your culture. It seems like Canvas has done a really great job, in particular, of trying to retain its staff. Can you kind of tell me a little bit about not only your experience at Canvas, but maybe at some other locations of some things that you've done strategically to try and keep staff around? Yeah, and so I think any company that says that, like, we do an amazing job, like, the job is done, like, they're lying. Like, <laughs> they're just lying. So um, I think that's, like, something that you constantly have to work on. You, As soon as you get complacent, then you're missing an opportunity to continue to, like, grow and move in the right direction. Um, every startup I've been in goes through retention problems because – the rate of change in a small company is so fast that the company that you were at three months ago looks totally different than the one you're at today. And so Canvas is an example of a company that like, I'm amazed at how fast we're able to move, but how like quickly that we're able to build products. Um, and so that rate of change, like, you know, is, is just amazing and unbelievable. And we do have people who've been here for years. Um, so, yeah, it's but it's something that like, is a, just a normal thing at startups. But I think what, what you then have to do is you have to kind of work on diagnosing, like, what are the issues? Um, what can we continue to improve? And so, like, one tool that I personally love, and I've used it at a, at a number of different companies, it's called CultureAmp. Um, they are a an engagement survey tool, and they help you through, like, an anonymous survey tool diagnose um, different challenges. And so when I was at like a larger organization, about 200 people, we actually went in and I went in with all the teams that I worked with and looked at their specific data compared to the company overall and diagnosed what they could do to help improve, um, engagement on their team. Um, and so I think, you know, it's not just turnover, like turnover is the result. So turnover is a lagging indicator of how engaged people are. Um, so if you look at any one point and say, we have this, like this much turnover, why is this happening right now? You can't look right now. You have to look six to 12 months ago. Um, because that's when, you know, someone like the seed is planted in someone's head. Like that's when they start to get disengaged. Like what is the point at which someone is getting disengaged? So, you know, turnover is, is, an important um, symptom, but I think you have to go back and look at like, you know, where that came from. Um, and, you know, luckily again, there, there are tools out there where you, um, that you can lean on to help you solve those problems. Okay. So that's, that's fascinating to me because clearly you're not making, so you're, you're doing the assessment about the engagement and, and how people are responding to the culture. So, you know, something that's interesting to me, Emma, is, What does it look like for you because you are such a small group, because I'm sure that you have, 
you know, regular engagements with the the founder or the the CEO or whoever's leading mm-hmm. the charge. What does that look like for you as the person in charge of finding, replacing, uh, helping advocate for the staff staying together? What has your relationship yeah. kind of been like with the person, the person or the people? that are in charge of kind of like steering the overall culture and making some big decisions like, hey, we're going to have uh, beer on tap in the office or not, or we're going to have four weeks of vacation or two. What what does that relationship look like for you to them in order to kind of advocate to say, hey, listen, it's not just based on these analytics. I just know from experience, if we do these things, we're going to have greater success at keeping the mm-hmm. talent that we've already developed. Yeah, so I'm I'm lucky that um, to work at a company where like our CEO cares about that. So and you know I think they wouldn't have someone in my role if they didn't prioritize people. Um, and you know like it's definitely it's definitely a, uh, just ingrained in who the CEO is that he he wants to figure out how to solve problems, how to get, you know, the company to continue to, like, grow and succeed. Um, and, you know, he said to me on multiple occasions that, like, our people are our greatest asset. So it's a different sell for me than it is for someone who is working at a company um, where maybe, like, they're not elevated into into that kind of seat um, and they have to, like, establish the field as and, like, you know, their work as important. Um, so I think some of the things that you do there is like, you know, looking at um, at morale and, you know, there are tons of studies now about how um, engaged employees will produce more. Um, and so it's, it's in the CEOs and it's in the leadership's best interest to have people who want to work there and to have a team that's predictable and isn't going to, isn't in flux constantly. I was just on the phone with a candidate today who was talking about how, you know, they were willing to take, to move into a a lower role at the company that they were in because the team they were on was just too unpredictable. So, you know, that's, that's real. Like those are, those are real challenges. Um, So, you know, I think I'm in a, I'm in a unique position because um, the CEO cares about, about that a lot and wants to build a good culture. And, um, you know, I'm just here like to offer guidance on, on the best ways to do that. All right, I'm gonna stop Emma right there and give you a word from our sponsor. This episode of HR Insiders is brought to you by PC Housing. PC Housing caters to business travelers and their families by providing tailored temporary housing solutions that are less like a corporate apartment and more like a home. With any time check-in, flexible lease terms, and personalized welcome grocery packages for their guests, PC Housing provides the amenities you need to be at your best. Do you need something customized to fit your specific needs? PC Housing offers customizable furniture and housewares to match your lifestyle. With communities throughout the U.S. and Canada, they have the resources to simplify and enhance your temporary housing needs. Relax and know PC Housing backs its services with the risk-free PC Housing Guarantee. If you're not happy, they'll do all they can to make it right or provide a refund. PC Housing. Stop searching, start booking. For more information, please visit PCHousing.com. Now, back to Emma. 
That's awesome. I love that. Is okay. So, is there something uh, you know that that you see? Because I'm assuming that you interact with other HR professionals in startups, just because that's where you're at. Is there a common mistake, or it may not even be a mistake, but just an issue that you keep hearing from your colleagues and other startups? Is there anything that's just kind of happening right now? in the workforce that you're going, oh man, this is an issue that multiple people are dealing with outside of yourself? Yeah, so one one problem that's pretty common is that um, when, you're, when you're in growth mode, when the company is growing, there are opportunities to continue to like move into higher roles. There hits a point, um, and this, I mean, Canvas is in here, but I've seen it in previous companies, where the company is um, is is large is large enough, and they've promoted people into roles that they've never been in before. And so, when that happens across the company, um, you know that can be a, that can be a real challenge. How are you going to compete against your competitors if um, the people who are in in your leadership roles have have never done that before? Um, at a level, that's okay because everyone's learning and growing and moving together. Then it hits a point where, like, that becomes a really difficult um, a challenge for the company. And so, usually, there's a moment at which you then start bringing in experienced managers, and there can be like a serious clash in culture between the people who've grown up in that company and then the managers who come in. Um, and so, you know, that's something that I've seen at, at at a couple of companies, and I think some of the key pieces there ensuring that, you know, those managers have the, the obviously the right skill set. That's why they're coming into those positions, but then also have the right fit within the team and that the team is in a position where they're really buying into that outside knowledge coming in. So, I, I you know, I've seen that from, you know, my experience at, at two companies in the past. And then, you know, I know from some of my peers, they've experienced the same thing. Yeah, that's that's interesting uh, because I, I feel like <clears throat> I feel like that is definitely a problem. As I've talked with you know some people that have companies that are in the uh, two and a half to six million dollar in revenue range, one of the things uh-huh. that they've kind of disclosed to me is you know depending on where you are in the country, it's it's really tough because you get to this place where. You need better talent, more expensive talent would probably be a better way to put it, to grow, and yet you don't have the money to really do it. And so it becomes this catch-22 of, well, we we need people that are able to really achieve this level of production or expertise, and yet they're 25 to 45% above what we're able to pay for that position. So now what? Uh, and I think that it goes back to, you know, kind of what you're saying in that it's difficult. And I, I can just say this as, as someone that, uh, you know, is in that space as well. It's difficult to build up a staff, to mature a staff um, to a place where, you know, maybe they're not making as much as they would somewhere else per se, but you've developed them into the, the caliber of candidate that you need them to be, uh, and which is great, but then they can also take a position somewhere else and get the money that, that you weren't able to afford before. So yeah, I could see that that would be extraordinarily difficult to kind of grow and, and harvest yourselves. Yeah. And then that brings up another point, because if you are bringing in 
um, you know, more senior level folks who have higher salary expectations, you don't want there to be a mismatch between the people who you've had on your, you know, in your company for a number of years. Um, so I think like salary, the like equity of salary then comes into play where it's, you know, what is fair? Um, and I think, you know, salary should be determined by um, experience, uh, external experience, and then experience potentially in the tenure in the company, by education level, by um, skills. So, you know, there's like a wide range of reasons that two salaries can be different, but it's something that, you know, you constantly have to think about. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, Emma, this has been great. What I'd like to do now is I'd love to go to our rapid-fire question round if you're down for that. Does that sound good? Yeah. Awesome, awesome. All right, so first question, what is the best business advice you've ever received? So I've been thinking about this, and I think um, the – it wasn't it wasn't advice, but it was, it was more of a lesson that I learned. Um, so I think when you work with different people with different skill sets than you, and you see how they they work through challenges and manage problems, you learn so much when you compare it to yourself, which is why I think it's important to be self aware. Um, I worked with someone whose name was Diane at a previous company, and she was I like admire her for being so detail oriented, um, so good with. Uh, like, you know, asking questions and understanding like what the ROI is, what what you're looking for, and so I personally, on a regular basis, and she knows this, I think to myself, what would Diane do? Like, what would Diane ask? Because those are the questions that like challenge myself to like move out of the way that I think normally. That's awesome. That's good. Yeah, I think you know, I actually love that you brought that up, Emma, because I feel like so many people uh, don't have that mentor relationship. And then the few people that do understand the kind of uh, cachet and relevance that that brings to your day-to-day life. Yeah. And yeah, and it's really phenomenal. Uh, I actually had someone yeah. that was, was similar and I asked myself all the time, like, okay, so how would Kevin handle this? You know? <laughs> and yeah. so, yeah, I totally relate to that to just be like, there's a, there's a, a deep seated wisdom that comes from people that kind of resonates with you longer than sometimes even a saying. Right. And I also think like when you, you say the word mentor relationship, you expect there to be like, you know, that this person has tons of more experience and like I'm all I'm doing it's like I'm learning so many lessons from this person but we were actually peers and in this tough company like we were both HR business partners she was on one side of the organization I was on the other and you can like build those mentor relationships with with people who are way more experienced than you and people who are at your level people who report to you um so I think you know like being open to that is really important and you know I still she knows I hold her in high regard. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. All right, yeah. next next question. What are you spending too much time on right now in your current position? I am spending too much time on admin and office tasks. Um, and, you know, like it's – it's we were a 30-person startup. We, we used to have um, someone who was like in the operations office and culture role, um, but now it's just me. And so – you know, I'm doing, st- I'm doing everything. I'm doing, I'm 
I was just right before we were on the call, it was like putting snacks in our cabinet. And those are the kinds of things that you kind of have to do. You have to roll up your sleeves sometimes and just like get that done. But, you know, I always think to myself, like, like, you know, it's not like packing snacks in the, in the closet is important, but you know, it's not the best use of my time. Um, <laughs> so like, and it's also not the, in the comp it's in the company's best interest to not have me do that because I am, you know, like, I'm an expensive snack packer. Like that's not, that's not in the best interest of the company. So like, you know, thinking about tasks like that in like a short term way of something that has to get done now, but you know, it's in, it's in my personal best interest and the best interest of the company to like solve for that. And so, you know, we will, but it's just not happening right now. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. All right. So, um, next question, what do you need to spend more time doing? Um, I need to spend more time on, um, you know, that, that bucket two that we talked about of, uh, you know, in, like ensuring that we are continuing to focus on engagement and continuing to build the right programs um, at Canvas that helps us to succeed and to, you know, keep people engaged. And um, so, you know, that's really where I would once I have a snack packer, <laughs> I will continue to focus there. I think it's it's just it you can never spend enough time there. Um, there's always more to do, um, always more to build. So you know that's definitely an area that I, I continue to think about and I work on, but I would like to continue to do more on. That's, yeah, no, I, <laughs> I like it. I like it. All right. So what's what's the best book you've ever read that's helped you in your career? The best book I ever read was, um, it's called The Difference, and it's by Scott Page. It's a little bit, um, it's, I read it, like, back in college, um, but I, I carried it with me, like, through, like, jobs, and I used to have it on my desk. It's, it's about how, um, how diverse groups perform better, um, and I think that's something that is really important, especially what, when you're in the, the tech world, um, and when they're... Are, is such a, you know, there's such an emphasis on, on referrals and um, on, you know, like, you know, I, I know a guy and it's his friend's cousin. Um, when you do that, you're building, a, you're, you know, naturally building a homogenous population. And um, given the fact that startups need an edge up to continue to grow, um, it's in their best interest and it's just the right thing to do to build, um, to build diverse teams. So I, I, and the book is, um, it is, it, it almost reads like a, a study and a story. So it's, um, it's, it's really, it's a good, it's dense, but it's good. You know, I love it when we get new books recommended and that's never one that we've had recommended. So I, I'm so thankful that you threw that one out cool. there. That's great. I love it. I love it. I love it. No, I, I love it. It's great. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Last question. What are you most looking forward to accomplishing over the next year? Um, what am I most looking forward to accomplishing? I think, uh, you know, surviving startup life and getting married <laughs> <laughs> the, together. <laughs> Those are, that's, uh, you know, one year from now it will, um, you know, I, we're going to be moving in a direction in the company where we're going to continue to grow. 
Um, and, you know, as that happens, that, that means more hiring. That means, like, a bigger emphasis on, on building the right programs to keep people engaged, which, you know, would mean expanding my team um, and, you know, also you know, finishing planning my wedding. So those two <laughs> things are, are um, both, both coming up. That's awesome. I love that. Well, congrats on getting married. That's very exciting. Um, Thank you. And uh, if people wanted to reach out to you more, because this has been a fantastic conversation. I know a lot of the people that listen to the podcast are going to love it and get a lot out of it. So if people wanted to find out more about Canvas or they wanted to reach out to you, Emma, how would they do those things? Yeah, um, if you want to find out more about Canvas, uh, we're we're an emotion analytics company. Uh, You can go to our website at canvas.tv, C-A-N-V-S dot TV. And then you can always reach me on LinkedIn. Um, Just, you know, write write me a note. I think that's definitely when you're an HR person, you know that you get an insane amount of cold LinkedIn reach outs. But when you write a note, that's how how we know where you're coming from <laughs> that, that's the secret everybody if you want to know <laughs> if you want to know how to get to hr people leave a note that'll make a big difference leave a note leave a note that's awesome that's awesome great yeah. well emma thank you so much for the conversation your insights and uh your time i really really appreciate it yeah of course cool thank you i appreciate it